The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might Of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. We serve an awesome God. We serve an awesome God. And we are on a countdown for eternity. Jesus is coming again. Soon. This will all be over. And Jesus will be here. I've heard most recently a number of academic pastors, even those who claim to be prophets, saying that there will be no great revival at the end of time, saying they cannot find anywhere in the scriptures where it speaks of an end-time revival. I want to read for you Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse 11. And many false prophets will be raised up and lead many astray. And because the lawlessness multiplied, the love of the many will grow cold. But the one having endured to the end, this one will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations. And at that time, the end will take place. Matthew 24. This is not describing the final great gospel commission that we read in the last chapter of the book of Matthew. This is a special proclamation of the gospel at the end of time. Now, any of you who have closely walked with Jesus, you know that he is not going to bring the judgment of justice, of tribulation upon the ungodly and not bring a great warning and a call to repent, and a great call to leave your sin. Those of you who believe in that secret rapture, if Jesus came now as you expect him to come in some kind of secret rapture, the church would be left behind as a whole. It is apostate today. There are very few real serious Christians in America. Now, in other parts of the world, China and other places, there are some very serious and holy Christians. But in America, no. Revival will be a call to repent. It will not be a show of healing, even though that will be a part. The primary focus of the revival that's coming is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a call to repent and to be prepared for the coming of our Lord. I had messages prepared for this week, and the Lord said, no, they're not ready to hear this stern call about sin. And so I had to pray and ask the Lord, then what should I do? And it was clear he was telling me to go back, tell the story of revival in Argentina. Now, some of you have heard this. I urge you to listen again. It's the story of the Holy Spirit coming to a a dear man, Dr. Edward Miller, who was really the father of the Argentine revival back in the 1940s. Let me share. And as I share, consider your own place. 
consider what you need to do to prepare for the great revival of godliness, of repentance, of holiness that's coming to America. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. In January of 1949, I came to the end of the road, to Laval, a village nestled in the foothills of the great Andes Mountains. I went with missionary Robert Thomas and a gospel tent. Our purpose was to hold a gospel campaign in a town where, to our knowledge, the gospel had never been preached before. We labored in the hot Andean sun, filling the air with recorded music, visiting every home in the community, distributing tracts and gospel portions. We prayed and prepared messages. Yet the night came, the next night, every night. No one from the village came. Then came torrential rains and flooded us out. Still we kept on, but in spite of all of our efforts, witnessing, testifying, preaching, we still had no congregation. The strong man still ruled over the small city. And after two weeks of expense and labors, we were forced to retreat in keen disappointment with absolutely no visible results. For me, that defeat marked the end of a long trail and the beginning of a new one. I want to say to you, the strong man has not yet been bound over the Washington, D.C. metro area. Yea, over America, the strong man has not been bound. He writes, I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. Could well describe my relationship with God up to that time. There'd always been plausible excuses for the lack of harvest and the want of results in my ministry. As a child, I'd often witnessed mighty uh, mighty operations of God under the ministry of servants of God, such as Dr. Charles Price Amy McPherson, yet I knew these operations were lacking in my own ministry. Still, excuses, convenient places to lay the blame, provided for me imaginary refuge from the searchlight of God's truth. Always the reason for my failure lay somewhere outside of myself. In one place the people were too hard, in another it was not harvest time yet or it was necessary to sow the seed first, or the people had no faith. From one pastorate to another, from one mission field to another, the excuses multiplied. True, a certain work for God had been done. In the eyes of man, there was no need to feel ashamed. But in my own secret heart, I knew there was a better way. The ever-faithful Spirit of God did not let complacency hinder his purposes times without number the question of elisha echoed in my soul where is the lord god of elijah the hound of heaven by francis thompson now in laval a town which had never heard the gospel before, was neither gospel-hardened nor burned over territory. I was faced with stark reality. I had been defeated. With every condition favorable, missionary equipment complete, a competent missionary evangelist companion, I had still failed utterly 
I was forced to admit that in spite of excellent ministerial training and the baptism of the Holy Spirit received as a child, there was still an obvious and deadly lack of power in my ministry. The long road of excuses was over. My fleeing ended. God caused me to take inventory of myself, and the results were delusioning. Bitterly defeated, all defenses overthrown, I was brought by God into a conference of surrender, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. God was saying, challenging for the surrender of both flesh and the works of flesh. Good as flesh works were, they were unacceptable. God was offering a new way, a way of power, an operation of the Holy Spirit himself released in the ministry of deliverance. Job 28, 7 and 8, There is a path which no fowl knoweth, in which the vulture's eye hath not seen, the lion's whelp have not trodden it, nor the fleece of lions pass by it. The terms of God's surrender were that I should spend a minimum of eight consecutive hours daily with him in prayer and in his word. If a man could work eight hours a day, a minister could pray as long. Sometimes I remained much longer than the eight hours, at times all day and night. Some openly expressed their disapproval, questioning my sanity, concluding that no one had a right to receive a missionary salary who spent most of his time in prayer and not in traditional missionary activities. Yet I knew that I could not go one step more fooling myself and fleeing from God. I had to accept his challenge. Now, just as information for you, I face this same challenge. And for seven years, I did not have any public ministry or any job or any income. And during that time, I lost my house, my car, I became homeless with my wife. And I learned how to wait on God. Now, when he blessed me on radio, I quickly opened the National Prayer Chapel with David Wilkerson's anointed blessing. And for a number of years, the Lord prospered me in that. But the time came when the people were gone and we came to the house. It was a time of great anguish and pain on my part. And the Lord said to me, audibly, Wait upon the Lord in those stern words. And then he said, The Lord will carry you through. And then he said, Ray, first time you ever used my personal name, Ray, enter my rest. And so now for several years, I've simply waited upon the Lord. I know the Lord has a timetable for this revival that he has promised me, first in childhood and later as an adult. He showed me in vision the fullness of revival. We are on a countdown for revival. I will not listen to those erudite and wise men who would tell me that there will be no revival at the end of time. I know my God. I know his voice. And I will wait upon the Lord. I consider it a great privilege to wait upon the Lord. 
to lay aside all ambition, to lay aside every bucket list, to simply wait upon the Lord and do what he's called me to do, which is this radio broadcast. I continue in a little vacant attic room over the garage of the Adobe Church in Mendoza, where I was interim pastor at the time. I began to seek the Lord. I just had to find God's answer for revival and the moving of his spirit in Argentina. For divine intervention, such as spoken of in the book of Acts, for an operation according to his abilities and not according to mine. Again, I divert. Many years ago, as I was crying out before the Lord for revival, he said to me, I will accomplish more in one day than you will accomplish in your whole lifetime. (laughs) Praise God. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God of majesty and power. We serve a God who is not going to deny his people. We serve a God who's going to come and revive his people. Was it merely wishful thinking or was it possible for an ordinary man without any other qualification than a call to the ministry to meet God in such a way that it would bring tangible results and visible fruit? Did God challenge men? Could a man accept such a challenge Could time accept the challenge of eternity? Were all the mighty saints and prophets of history special sovereign creations of God, or were they just ordinary men who accepted the challenge of God? Was there a way? Could man have a direct encounter with God? If not, at the end of the road of no return, if there were no answers there loomed ahead of me an abysmal disorientation, shattered dreams, and illusions long held in a sacred secret. So often in the scriptures, God says to man, seek my face. But he never tells how it is to be done. Was seeking God the prerogative of a select few, a limited group of mystics by birth who could climb high on the prophet's mountain, many unanswered questions led me to one main question. Could a most ordinary man, with but the most ordinary talent and preparation, without any special gifts of mysticism or genius, find God? Was there for such a one a vital contact? a personal encounter with the Lord of glory, a careful search of the scriptures from Abraham to Nehemiah, from Elijah to Peter, seemed to clearly indicate, yes. Being practical by nature, more at home in the shop and the field than at the desk or in a prophet's chamber. I had to find an answer that was at the same time both spiritual and practically and dramatically real, as well as scripturally authentic. The spiritual and material just had to meet in a man. Doubts and questions and fears mark the passing of long hours. Where was God? The walls echoed back the barren question. Turmoil wrestled within. Was such a demand on God human impertinence? Ahead loomed an apparently dead-end street, a defeated, threatened, so final and so abysmal that the fear of it became a strong motive to forge on. Days of fasting, still there was no answer. Endless hours passed, still no windows were opened in heaven, weeping, waiting, meditating, searching the word, walking, kneeling, standing, and again prostrate on the floor. Silence, no posture, no fasting, no tears, no cries could pierce the silent, invisible barrier which so oppressively closed in upon my being. 
the days slowly passed, lengthening into weeks. Again, I interrupt. I wish I could report to you that I did this only for weeks. This was my experience for years. And then God came and spoke, but not with a great outburst of revival, but with wait upon me, wait upon the Lord. That was not the answer I wanted, but it's the only answer that came. Continuing, God was in no hurry to uncover the secrets of his mysteries. He who had so carefully hid the diamonds deeply in the earth for only the most diligent of seekers to find did not hurry to reveal his hiding places to the one who aspired to visit his treasury. The seeking and digging were necessary. Two months passed and eternity fitted into time. Not a breeze speared stirred in the spiritual world, not even a tiny cloud the size of a man's hand appeared. Then the enemy brought an almost successful attempt to halt the search. Set God a date. Surely by now you know that you are mistaken. There's no use going on indefinitely. So I set a date. God, if by the end of this week, Saturday evening at five o'clock, you don't manifest yourself, then I will know that I am mistaken. I will go out with tracks, returning to the conventional missionary routine. Surely God, knowing that I was sincere, would be forced to move out of his hiding place. But still no breeze stirred. In infinite wisdom and patience, God held his peace, and the end of the week drew near. The five o'clock hour arrived, and still God had done nothing. With unutterable bitterness of soul, with tears of frustration and defeat welling up from within me, I filled my pockets with tracks and slowly walked down the long hall which led to the street. God had not answered. At that moment, in God's precise timing, a local pastor arrived with his teenage unconverted son. During the visit, the pastor poured out his troubles at great length. Minutes became hours. It was impossible to do the proposed house-to-house visitation and tract distribution. As the two visitors prepared to leave, I asked the boy a searching question. One word led to another until the young boy was on his face, sobbing his way to Calvary. The two finally left in the darkness of the hall, with the door behind them scarcely closed. A voice within me said, "'You see, son,' When I wish I can bring them in, now return to prayer until I tell you it's time to leave. (laughs) So back I went again into that little attic room for more weeks of wrestling, prayer, and the word. Months went by until time lost all its meaning. Then one day, a day no different from all the others that had gone before, without any advance warning whatsoever. A word was spoken into the very air of that room, a word that vibrated until the depths and out again into the heights. Upon that word, the mighty presence of God came and filled the whole world, it seemed. In a voice that seemed fully audible, a special message was given. The separating veil was rent, the windows opened, glory shone all around, and I was in the spirit. God had come to just an ordinary man. He had deigned to speak, to bring forth his purposes, his will, his reality was manifest, and his word fully vindicated. He had not said, seek my face in vain. 
for weeks the heavens were opened, and in spirit I saw things unlawful to be uttered. Then a strange order was given. Go, call the people to prayer, and I will pour out my spirit upon them. Tell them to come prepared to stay from eight until midnight. If they are not prepared to stay the entire four hours, they must not come at all. Could such an order be of the Lord? Just a while previously, a most convenient hour had been chosen for a prayer meeting, and no one had come. And now at a most inconvenient hour, who would be interested enough to come? The prosaic order was unspectacular and oversimple. Naaman had expected the prophet to at least strike his hands over the place of his affliction, anticipating a dramatic appearance of some kind, not a mere order to go and wash seven times in the Jordan. I later discovered that it's not the order, but the one who gives the order that makes all the difference. God's ways are not our ways. He gave this command and he expected it to be obeyed, literally. I must confess that I had many doubts. I knew my few church members, their lethargy and their lack of interest in the things of God. If there were any responses at all, I knew it would have to be of God. God was beginning to teach us the importance of simple, explicit, obedience. In Eden, it was not the quality, it was not the quantity of fruit consumed that brought such chaos. It was the quality of disobedience, which revealed a deep rebellion to the rule of God and separated man from God. Implicit, simple obedience is the only way that leads back into the presence of God and that restores the right relationship with him. The invitation made to the little church group the following Sunday was most unusual and difficult to fulfill. Cold winter weather, unheated buildings, and lack of transportation after midnight hour all combined to make it difficult to respond to such a call. Nevertheless, three indicated their willingness to attend the proposed prayer meeting. These three came a timid servant lass, a backslidden man and his young wife. Not one of the three had ever seen anyone filled with the Holy Spirit. This small church and many like it in Argentina at that time had never experienced any manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They did not know how to receive the Holy Spirit nor what it would be like when he came. We spent some time the first night instructing them according to the scriptures, and then we all knelt before the Lord in prayer. They waited in utter silence. I led out in prayer, praise, and song, but no one joined me. They merely waited on in silence. When the four hours had passed, I asked if anyone had received any impulse from the Lord that would call for any cooperation on his part. Had anyone any impulse to pray aloud, to praise the Lord, to sing a song, in fact, anything at all? Everyone answered in the negative except the young wife. She admitted a strange desire to arise and walk to the table in the center of the room and hid it. Surely that was a bit strange. Being far too proud to even consider such a thing, she merely commented, Oh, it would be too foolish. Nor could she be persuaded to even try it. Thus the first prayer meeting ended. Again I went to the Lord. I had fulfilled his command, and nothing had happened. What should we do now? The Lord only said to wait and gather again for prayer. The next night, the same group returned to seek the Lord. The second night was an exact repetition of the night before. 
During the four silent hours, no one had felt the slightest impulse from the Lord, same this, except the same woman, who confessed to the same strange desire as the first night. But as happened that night before, she could not be persuaded to do it. The meeting ended in such dis- dismal failure that I was certain no one would return the following night. Could this be of the Lord? A thing so strange and so out of the ordinary, a desire to to hit on a table, nothing like it had ever been mentioned in the Bible. Why had God not moved? Why did he delay if he had given the command to gather for prayer, promising that he would manifest himself? Many questions and doubts zeroed in upon my heart and mind. Fear and trembling, I awaited the next service. The third night, the same three joined my wife and me for another evening of prayer. A backslidden, called to be preacher, his wife, and a servant lass. The result was another evening of silent waiting, another evening of no response to any urgings or promptings of the Holy Spirit. When the service was nearly over, I asked the man's wife if she still felt like banging the table. With much shame and and blushing timidity, she admitted that she did, but in no way could be prevailed upon to do it. How difficult it is for man to learn to know the voice of God. Three times God called Samuel. Three times Samuel thought it was the voice of Eli. Only the fourth time did he learn it was the Lord God of heaven speaking. Several times God had spoken to this young lady. Somehow, I knew it was God speaking. Had he not ordered these prayer services? Would he not fulfill his promise to manifest himself? But the woman would not obey. Thursday night. Everything continued as on the previous evenings until 11 o'clock when I asked everyone to get up from their knees and be seated. Young lady, I ask, do you still feel like hitting the table? In shame and reluctance, she confessed to the same strange desire, but she wouldn't get up to do it. So I ask everyone to rise. Singing a chorus, we all marched around the table. As each one gathered courage to hit the table, finally the young lady also took courage, and she reached out. When she hit the table, immediately a rushing wind swept into the room from the southeast corner. In seconds, the retiring, timid servant lass was on her feet, worshiping the Lord in great ecstasy. Her hands raised in the air, Her face was transformed, radiating the joy and glory of the Lord, and she spoke in an unknown tongue. The backslidden, rebellious man who constantly, consistently resisted the call of God over his life fell under the table and there began to worship the Lord in another tongue as the Spirit gave him utterance. His young wife, seeing what was taking place, cried out in a loud voice, all timidity gone, I too, Lord, lest the Spirit should pass her by. Upon her too, the river of the Holy Spirit flowed, baptizing her in his strange and wonderful presence. She broke forth in a tongue. Although we didn't realize it at the time, the Holy Spirit was being outpoured, not only upon us, but upon the whole Argentina in a new way an outpouring that would later reach out into the furthest corners of this mighty country. An act of simple obedience had opened the door. God had set in motion the forces to change this vast pagan country and make it into a Christian nation. The move of God for which so many had prayed had come. Faith had triumphed. All the prayers and tears and longings and countless hours of wrestling with the enemy had at last prevailed. Faith changed into sight. And we entered the stream of his mighty purpose for which so many had longed and prayed, yet had not seen. 
Others had laid down their lives in faith, not having received the promise. Nevertheless, he came just as he had promised. The wisdom of God put to naught the wisdom of men. To hit on a table in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit took away the last obstacle to the flow of the mighty river of God. In early June 1949, that river began to flow out to Argentina in a new and tremendous way. The news of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit traveled swiftly. More people came out to the prayer service the next night. From then on, neither cold nor danger or anything else hindered the people from coming to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A 14-year-old girl, having little education, saw visions of things to come. Many of those, those visions came to pass. As time, she prophesied, quoting many scriptures, She'd never learned nor read. Felix, a young man, received the word of knowledge, and he saw hidden things in vision. One night he admonished a retired schoolteacher through the word of knowledge to clear her home of idols. She replied in hurt amazement that there were no idols in her home. Then God gave a vision, showing him a certain trunk of hers with a pile of religious relics at the bottom. It was true. Keepsakes left by her deceased mother had been there for so many years she'd forgotten them. God manifest his hatred of all idolatry, wanted them destroyed. The following day, the teacher brought all the relics to be destroyed. God taught us gifts and operations of his spirit that we never had known before. Young Felix received an anointed healing ministry, later becoming a successful evangelist and pioneering a new work. As word of the revival went out, more and more new people came, and all who came were soon saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit. During those months, the church did not have one member who was not filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as they were saved, they received the Holy Spirit, often before receiving even the baptism in the water. Brother Thomas, who had labored with me in the disastrous Laval tent campaign, made a special trip north to visit us. Various ministers in Buenos Aires, having heard the reports of a moving of the Spirit in Mendoza, sent Brother Thomas to make a first-hand report. Having pastored the Mendoza church at one time, he already knew the people well. Looking upon the gloriously transformed people, all praising God and moving in the operations and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he said, this is a miracle. This is God. Only God could do this with these people. Before we had studies on the gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit, and there was no response, now these people are manifesting those same gifts. In weeks, the little church doubled and redoubled its membership. The people formed into little bands and went out to witness for the Lord. On the streets and into the homes, they went in the power of the Holy Spirit, returning with glorious testimonies of what God was doing in response to their simple faith and witnessing. People were saved and healed. Hands were laid upon them in faith. I listened attentively, and the Lord seemed to speak again and say, You see, son, I can do much more with these little Spanish-speaking ones filled with my Holy Spirit than I could with all of your going out alone with tracks from door to door. Seeing the wonderful wisdom and plan of God, my heart was melted. I knew his way was best. Having cleansed the church by the purifying Holy Spirit and put it into order, the Lord began to lead out even more in the ministry of healing. We held a campaign in the tent. This time it was not a failure. God worked his wonders. One night there was such moving of the Spirit of the Lord that all present, whether saved or unsaved, were on their knees before the Lord, crying out to him, and a mighty word of prophecy went forth in the name of Jesus. All knelt before him that night and confessed him Lord of all. 
when his spirit swept over in mighty power, no one could resist his presence. Overnight, the Lord had transformed the Mendoza church. Instead of a few struggling, uninterested church members, our church now was full. Instead of cold silence in the worship services, joyous rejoicing took its place. In place of singing, singing in the place of death, sighing in the place singing, in place of sighing, singing in the place of death, life in place of defeat, victory. God had come to us in Mendoza. The desert had become a fruitful place. It is the goal of the river is to flow ever outward, seeking new channels. It could not be confined to Mendoza. Before long, invitations had come to visit other churches and towns. And so leaving Felix, the national pastor in charge of the Mendoza church, we turned and went south. Well, that finishes that part of the story. God is waiting for a man or a woman who's hungry for God to get before God and seek him with your whole heart. Some of you have grown cold in your heart. Some of you have given up on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have given up on revival. Some of you have waited all your life as I have. I've waited for years for this. I will not turn back now. I will continue to wait upon the Lord. I will call you to wait upon the Lord. And I will call you to repentance, to holiness, to preparing for the coming of the Holy Spirit because he's coming in great power to prepare a people without spot or blemish, to be his people, to meet him in the air. Jesus is coming again, and we must prepare, we must get ready. I pray this broadcast has been helpful to you today. If you've not subscribed to our channel on YouTube, would you do so now? I'm going to wait upon the Lord. I've come too far to quit. I know my God. I know his voice. He has worked such miracles in my life in the last months. And I see now that we're on a timetable where things have speeded up, where things are happening very quickly. I know revival is coming. Oh, yes, I stay in touch with what the news is. I'm not concerned about the news, though. I'm concerned about the news from heaven. I'm concerned about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm concerned about the gospel of the kingdom being preached in the whole inhabited world as a, as a testimony to all nations. Because then the end will come. So I'm not after money. I'm not after power. I don't want to be somebody. I'm nobody. But I can tell you, one man with no special talent, who has spent years waiting on God, I'm going to be rewarded by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Many others have waited on God. I'm not someone special. But I have waited on God. I've wept and fasted and prayed. And I have his sure word that he is coming in mighty power. It won't be a show. It'll be a time of agonizing over our prayer. It'll be a time of a brokenness before a holy God. It will be a time of getting right with Jesus. Many of you listening to this broadcast are lukewarm or cold of heart. 
all of that is about to change. God is going to do a final preparation for his coming in glory so that when he comes, there will be a people prepared for him without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. I want you to be a part of that people. I heard you. Fill your heart with the word of God. Turn the television off. Turn the cell phone off. Turn the internet off. Seek the face of God. Fast. Pray. Obey immediately every word of God. Lift up the name of Jesus wherever you are. Tell people boldly, I'm waiting for Jesus to come in revival power. He's coming. He will be here soon. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. This is the story written by Dr. Edward Miller on the Argentine revival. I'd love to hear from you if if this whole truth of a revival touches your heart. Then write to me and be a part of helping put together a fund so that we can rent a public place when God moves. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. July radio cost is completely covered. I'll send that check now to Wava. And now we begin again putting aside money for the August radio bill. We have to buy this time from Weva. They charge us by the day. August is a very long, long month. I'd love to hear from you. If you want revival as I do, then help prepare for it. You can also go on webpage to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com and I invite you there to give online to listen again to this broadcast we serve an awesome God a God of love and majesty and power nothing is too hard for our God turn to him with all of your heart cry aloud and he will answer Again, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to continue this story tomorrow. Invite a friend to join and listen. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory.